Okay. Hi. So, for the um, keen among us who have perhaps been here regularly while we've been doing our Samuel uh, series, you might realize that we have suddenly jumped a few chapters. Um, maybe some of you noticed, maybe not. Yes, some people have noticed. That's encouraging. Um, why have we jumped a few chapters? What's gone on? We've obviously missed something and potentially something quite massive in the Bible's history. But we are following the uh, story. Hang on a minute. Thanks, Tilem. He's ever so keen. I love it. Um, we have been following the story of Samuel, which is why we are now in um, chapter 12, because from chapter 8 to chapter 12, there's been a bit of a, a diverge. And um, is that the right word? Something like that. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to catch us up ever so quickly. So um, here we have it. These were meant to come in order, but it's okay. Transitions between different computers, that's fine. So what have we missed? Um, well, the Israelites, uh, as you might remember from last time, chose, do you remember Nicola had the kind of steps going up here? Uh, they chose to kind of look around to the left and to the right of them to see what other nations were doing. And they were like, hey, we want a king like them. Because they forgot to look up to God's perspective and see that actually we don't need a king because we've got God. Silly. Um, so anyway, they went and uh, decided they needed a king. Um, and God listened to their prayers and decided, okay, I'm going to give you a king. You really want one. Here it is. So that's our first chapter. Hang on, keep it on that one. We've got three little points. Um, so chapter 9, which is our blue one, if we go back, um, God speaks to Samuel and says, okay, uh, I'm going to appoint a king. This is the person it's going to be, and I'm going to arrange for you to meet with him. Great, chapter 9. Chapter 10, uh, Samuel meets with the king-to-be, who is Saul, by the way. And uh, they meet, and Samuel prophesies over to him and says, Hey, you're going to be the new leader of Israel. You are going to be the king over Israel. Whoa, big stuff. Okay, and then on to chapter 11, we have the Israelites yet again uh, coming up to a bit of a a war against some more enemies. These ones are from the city of Jabesh. Um, they're often in wars, but they find themselves in this war. Oh no, what are they going to do? So the Lord sends down his Holy Spirit on Saul to fight and defeat, go into battle against the city of Jabesh, and he defeats them. Oh, amazing. The Israelites are like, Saul, you're pretty cool. This is great. We definitely need you. And Saul, at this moment, does a very good thing. And he says, ah, it was the Lord who helped us. That was the right thing to say at that point. Well done, Saul. Um, so he recognizes that it was a Lord at hand. So Samuel anoints Saul as king. Okay. Brilliant. Now we can get on to the next one. So now, the Israelites have a king. Thank you, Jenny Mullaly, for your wonderful crown. Um, they have a king who has been appointed by God. Now, where does that leave Samuel? 
you might um, have a little look in your Bibles. Just out, I, I'm not actually sure if I checked. Is there a little little subtitle in in there in chapter 12? That um, what does the subtitle say um, about this? This isn't subtitles in the Bible aren't the word of the Lord. They are things that translators have decided to um, give as a little helpful sort of summary of what's going on. Um, anyone just shout out what? Samuel's farewell speech. Okay. Now, um, don't be offended, but I'm going to suggest that that's not entirely true. Um, It's not exactly Samuel's farewell speech, uh, because if you flick over a few pages, you might see that Samuel actually has continual, pretty important roles to play, which we will continue to look at in our series Samuel's farewell speech, yeah, and how about maybe more of Samuel's speech in a time of transition? There's a bit of a role change going on here. There's a king around. Where does that leave Samuel? So maybe Samuel's speech in a time of transition is perhaps what I'd suggest. You can chuck in your own suggestions. Have a little think. So he's not quite done and also later in this chapter he promises to continue to pray for Israel and that is going to be a big job. So one of the biggest concerns of Samuel and some of the other elders who are around in, in the uh, Israelite area um, is that this decision to have a king um, is perhaps going to ultimately prevent the Israelites from being the distinctive, different nation that God has set them apart to be. Weren't they meant to be the greatest plan for all of creation? Aren't they the nation who will bring hope to the rest of the world? So how... Will this be if they've got a king like everybody else? So some of the questions I want to ask us tonight are, how do we remain faithful to God when it seems like the nation around you or the world around you has gone along a different path? Or how do you live out God's commission when the world is looking elsewhere for leadership? How do we hold on to God when things around us seem to be changing out of our control? Well, we're gonna look at Samuel and we're gonna see how he remains faithful in his time of transition. Three things to remember. The first thing, thanks Tilim, is that he reminds people, he, he calls us to remember, just like elephants. <laughs> he calls us to remember what God is like, what he has done. Samuel, first of all, interestingly, reminds them of uh, the good and faithful servant that he has been to them as the Israelites and to God, which kind of sets up this little because the Israelites say, yes, Samuel, you, you have been very faithful. Yes, you've, you've not stolen our donkeys or gone, gone astray. You've been very, thank, very faithful. Brilliant. Ah, great. 
Now you think that, that's wonderful, because I have. I want to tell you that God has always been faithful to you. You trust the word I'm saying. Let me say this. God has always been faithful. Don't you remember? He brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Don't you remember that he sent people, Moses and Aaron and Joshua, to lead you into the promised land? Don't you remember that even once you got to the promised land and you kind of went your own way and decided to make these silly idols... And then you remembered that actually God is Lord. He welcomed you back and he rescued you again from the hands of your enemies. Remember the good that God has done over your ancestors all along. Interestingly, notice there's often a pattern in the Bible's history of uh, God putting his people on a righteous path and them kind of losing their way a little bit and, and then thinking, oh, how do we get here? Oh, better, better turn back again. And God always welcomes them back and sets them back on track again. Just an interesting pattern to remember. He always rescues and redeems his people. Now for us, sometimes we need to look back. We need to remind ourselves where God has been faithful. Sometimes when we didn't even realize it. I um, have like a little sketchbook that I scribble thoughts and uh, pictures. Sometimes I feel like God is speaking uh, to me or is speaking in a moment. Um, I'll, I'll draw them out or write them down. And uh, it's not, it doesn't always have to be regular, but it just chuck them down when it feels significant. And then sometimes I, I pick it up and have a flick through and remind myself, oh yeah, gosh, that, God said that in that moment. And actually since then I can really see how it's happened, how that's come to fulfillment. Or I might see, gosh, I was in a really rubbish place at that point. But wow, God is just working through me in that moment. It's amazing to look back because I don't know about you, but I always forget. I so often forget. Or, or maybe even just keeping into our Bible, keeping reading um, and helping us. It, it helps us to see God's big picture plan over the whole of the world, over the whole of creation. And yet also we get to see this little part that we have to play in that big plan that he has for us. It's amazing to see God's faithfulness in the big picture. Okay, so that's the first one, to remember. And the next one is to know who is really in charge. Who is really in charge? Who sits on the throne? The Israelites want a king to lead over them, to be the one who sends them out and wins their battles and makes all the decisions. And Samuel's like, oh, God, show them the power of you again. Show them the might, the, the awesomeness that, that you can do all things. And so in their season of harvest, which is dry and ready for their corn to be picked up, you don't see rain in that time. 
God does as Samuel asks and he sends down rain and thunder. What? That's not supposed to happen. It's like England. Not good. I'm sure it doesn't take much to imagine what that would be like. Thunder and rain pouring down. Only God has the authority to command the weather. Only God has the authority to truly lead, to truly bring people out of slavery, to truly set people free, to put them back on the right path, free from their mistakes. Only God has the authority to do that. So they cry out to Samuel, Samuel, we know we've recognized that we've made a mistake here. This king, perhaps, who we've put on the throne, pray for us. We need God. We recognize we need God. But they still have this king, Saul. They have him. So God's kind of condition of allowing them to still have a king, but to to allow them to still be under God's authority, is that they just need to keep looking to God for leadership. Even their king needs to keep looking to God for their leadership. Their king needs to submit to God's leadership. After all, God is their true help. Do you remember that term there, Ebenezer, that stone of God has been my help? God is their strong arm in leadership. Okay, and then finally, oh, sorry, no, sorry, we're going back. I've mistitled subtitles, very confusing. Um, Who is in charge of you? Who is in charge of me? Who is truly in charge? Who are the rulers and the authorities that you choose to lead your life? Some of them we don't get to choose. Maybe our bosses or political matters. Some we don't have much of a say in. But the question that we can do is think, actually, what we do get to choose is where God how we, uh, sorry, what we do get to choose is putting things in line with God's leadership. So the things that we get to choose might look quite subtle for us. It might be uh, who or even what governs our thoughts and our actions. We're quite a, a choosy society. We get to uh, choose who we follow on Instagram or on Twitter. We get to choose uh, which news articles we read. We get to choose what we see on TV or what music we listen to. All of these things are filling our minds with thoughts and opinions about stuff. So how do we line that up with God's great plan, God's great vision for us? God's great hope, his great leadership. Now, this isn't to say that we need to kind of put ourselves in a little Christian bubble and only talk to Christians because they're great. Um, Christians are great. This community is great. But actually, it, it can look wider than that. We can ask questions like, who 
is leading uh, to bring justice to the unjust. It might not be a Christian organization, but they are doing wonderful things. Or who is caring for the people's needs or for creation's needs? Maybe we want to be following them. Who is leading their community to love one another and to serve one another? Maybe these are the sort of things that we want to be filling our following posts with, things that inspire, that are just in line with God's great commission for us. So all of these things, we align with what is good, what is noble, what is true, what is in line with God. Because the distincting factor is God is really in charge. He's really the one on the throne. And all these other things should fall down here. Second, third, fourth priority. God is the one that should be maintaining our perspective, our vision. Okay, and then thirdly. This time of change or reordering is, is an opportunity for us to maybe reset. Once the Israelites uh, recognized what they had done in trying to put the king on the throne, they realized they had done a bad thing. That was not right. They chose to turn back to God, to look again to God, to re reset again with him in charge, him on the throne. But you know what's amazing? Maybe reset was slightly the wrong word because it doesn't, it's not always a total wipeout when, when God uses us, when God forgives us for the mistakes or the wrong directions we've gone on. Amazingly, the bigger narrative for this king thing that's happened is that God is even able to use it for his bigger plan? Is that God actually uses this line of kings to bring the hope for the world? King David, all the way through to King Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, through the line of kings. God's great plan, God's mighty arm of lead leadership is greater than our mistakes. He is always working things for his good. When we choose to turn to him, he says, that's okay. It doesn't matter how deep the scars and the wounds go. I work things for my good and for the good of those who love me. I will work it for your good. How cool is that? How amazing is that? So when we forget God's faithfulness, or when we feel like our path has gone a distant way from perhaps what we knew it should have been, let's not bury ourselves down in a, in a feeling of pity and woe is me, I can't, I can't turn back now, I've gone too far. God's arm doesn't stretch this far. Let's not do that. 
let's know that God's arm is mighty and huge and he can reach down from whatever pit we find ourselves in. He can put us back, bowing to the throne that he deserves and that he sits on. He can set our lives back on the right path from whichever place we've come from. In this uh, season, we're about to enter a season of Lent. Um, This is a great rhythm of the Christian calendar that allows us to kind of focus on Jesus, on his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, all that he did that uh, saved humanity from this kind of spiral of sinning and death. We get to reflect on that and focus on that and think, what does that really mean again for me? Maybe in this Lent season, this is going to be a great opportunity for you. I know it will be for me to kind of set and reset myself back on that pattern of, oh, what does it look like again to truly have everything looking towards God, to truly align my things, my stuff, my busy days back putting God on the throne. I'd love to encourage you to maybe think about that this Lent. What does that look like? So I'm coming to a close. And I just want to remind you of those three things as we remember. Remember what God has done. As we think again who is in charge, who sits on the throne. And as we think, gosh, we can always turn back. We can always turn back to God, wherever we've come from. So let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that your great history plan has so many amazing stories of how you, over and over again, rescue and redeem your creation. Lord, would you help us to look again to you with clear eyes, Lord. Help us to turn again from those things that stop us from putting you on the throne. Help us, Lord, to see you as the king over all kings, the Lord over all lords. Amen.